there, there have been studies that have shown that most people take a shower in the morning, not because they really need to get clean, but it's part of a ritual or a ceremony to start the day. And you get this sort of heat therapy and, and this, this tactile sensation from a shower. When you combine that with steam, you get that heat therapy for much less water and, and much less heat energy to heat that water up. So it's an environmental benefit as well. And, and you can actually take a longer therapeutic experience in the morning. Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. So my guest today on Talk Design is Michael Pincus. Now, Michael is the president of a company that you'll best know its product as Mr. Steam. And Mr. Steam is, I think, making a, a big difference in how people view their wellness and uh, how they nurture themselves in their homes. If you uh, were to take a shower and... I'm going to explain it a little bit like this because of the fact that a lot of people I talk to don't even realize it exists, which blows me away when you think of the size of company that he runs, um, especially outside of America. But if you were to take a shower and you said, well, actually, I'm going to turn on this little button here and generate some steam in here and create a wet shower in this, uh, uh, sorry, a steam room in this shower at the same time or separately, um, right there in your own home. That's the basis of it. So you get all the effects of it, opening your pores, relaxing you, cleansing um, as well. And depending on your climate, if it's a colder climate, obviously it's a beautiful source of heat, but it's a great source of wellness. So Michael runs that company um, and they manufacture in New York, uh, which is pretty cool, I think. They manufacture in America. And... Michael's background comes from a pretty diverse thing as an industrial designer. Um, he, he drives a big desk, but uh, he's an industrial designer and certainly an industrial designer at heart. Um, he loves to tinker. He loves the thought of actually physically making things and producing things um, and also how pieces go together. Big love of motorcycles and also of architecture and what comes from architecture. So Michael, thank you so much for making the time. Welcome to Talk Design. Um, let's talk. Adrian, thank you for having me. It's uh, Thank you for that wonderful You're so welcome, well. man. Um, you can tell maybe, I might put, just pick a couple of little bits off your bio and you can tell a little story about them. Um, so Michael, when he left university, he went to Italy and uh, lived in a little village um, outside Parma and worked for um, the, mo well, the, the design company that creates Formula One cars and, uh, and so on, anything to do with that. Um, their name's Dala. D D you can pronounce Delara, yeah, Delara. I'm not very good with the pronunciation. But tell us a little bit about that um, because the bit about university, well, you did that bit, but the other bits where the story really starts um, once you'd got the degree. 
Yeah. Now that that was very exciting because uh, I remember I had finished university and I was thinking, oh, now I have to get a job. And uh, I actually was speaking with my uncle and he told me about an opportunity someone told him about a, a race car design and fabrication company outside the city of Parma in Italy. And it was in the quintessential rolling foothills of Emilia Romana, traditional little village. And I loved cars and it sounded like a great opportunity. I uh, wrote him a letter. Uh, he said, come on down. And I jumped on a plane and I showed up in Parma and uh, Mr. Delara's uh, young daughters picked me up and took me outside of Parma through these beautiful little Italian villages into Emilia Romana. And it was late in the day and they pulled over on the side of the road and they looked up the hill and they said, that's, uh, that's our grandparents' farmhouse. And it was a 16th century farmhouse amid, amid uh, uh, vineyards and orchards. And they gave me this big iron key and they said, see you tomorrow morning. And, I, uh, and it was a fantasy experience, both from a cultural, from a living and a professional standpoint, being involved in, uh, in, in old Italy and in a state-of-the-art uh, racing car manufacturing company. And it, it, it was probably one of my greatest experiences today. I, I, I can today. so relate to this based on, I, I worked in the fashion trade and for years, I would go to Italy and usually Como, luckily, Milano and then Como. Um, but you would be, like, as you say, in the middle of this countryside. And next thing there is this, you know, world changing, world beating little company, not necessarily tiny companies, but company that sits out there in the middle of the countryside and they race down to the local town for their or local village and into an old barn and it turns into being a restaurant and you know there's it's it is a, a very um romantic way of being involved in something but it's not like they're all sort of grouped together like we would have an industrial estate they have they're just dotted dotted around spread around and it's so special when what was really surprising was the contrast between this very traditional countryside and a state-of-the-art fabrication company and they had the first wind tunnel uh, mr delara was an engineer they called him engineer and he was a very very forward-thinking uh, engineer he had the first wind tunnel in his small design lab and they would make scale model uh, cars put them in the wind tunnel test them and Delara's father was a civil engineer and he built him a racetrack. So they would build these cars and they'd go and race them. And people from all over the world would come and visit. The, the world's most celebrated race car uh, driver was Fangio from, uh, from Argentina, I believe. And he came to visit and I got to meet, you know, one of my heroes and, uh, wow. and talk race cars with him. So, and then I would go home to this old 16th century uh, house and uh, about two weeks into me staying there, there was a storm and I walk out the front door and there's a, an owl chick sit right on the ground outside the front door. And uh, from then on, he lived wow. in my night table. And I 
I, I, it was part of this fairy tale. And I, I read that uh, owls have to eat roughage with their food. So I would buy chicken and, and chew up the bones and the feathers and the meat so this owl would eat it. And then it had to regurgitate these pellets to clean its esophagus. And it was, it was just a beautiful experience. In How sensational. Every how sensational. Uh, you know, like, what made you go to, back to New York? Like, what went wrong? <laughs> why, aren't, why aren't I talking to you in a small Italian village in a 16th century? Yeah, what, what part yeah. didn't line up there? Or where did you derail that journey? Because you could just get lost in an environment like that and, and never leave. You know, like, it would be, yeah, it'd be so easy to make it all part of your life. Well, one, one great thing about being in such a rural environment is that uh, you you have to learn to speak Italian. And in fact, it was not only Italian. They In most small villages in Italy, they speak a dialect. And they would have to switch to classic Italian because with any visitor, that's just what they would do. And uh, after uh, I stayed there for the summer and winter came in, the house had no heat. And it became uh, rather difficult. But about after a year, I, I left to go to Milan and worked for the Memphis group. So I went from a very rural sort of technology-based uh, experience into the world yeah. of uh, fashion in Memphis. In, in Memphis Milan. group as well. And Just again, game-changing. Oh, it, it was... Uh, it was a diametric opposite. In fact, when when I was working on drafting and and, and some car layouts, I would uh, trained as an industrial designer. I would naturally try to attend to the aesthetics and make some choices based on what looked right. And they were very patient with me. But at one point, Delara came over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, "Mike, I understand you're a designer, but." The job is to make this car go around the racetrack fast. I don't care what it looks like. It has to be fast and light and it has to be reliable. And then after going to Milan, I worked for the Memphis group that was very fashion driven. And I remember my first assignment was working on a teapot and I was working out the ergonomics and the angle of the handle and the spout so it wouldn't drip. And my boss came over to me and he goes, Mike, I, I don't care if it works. It, it's got to look great. I was like, wait. So I got, I got both ends of the experience. Which would in, both in be time. fascinating as well because, you know, that, that um, high end of the experience on the other side where you've got to get um, the thing right and, and aesthetics don't matter, Um and then to be going, well, I don't care if it functions, but the aesthetics do matter. And I often think of that in designing homes. You know, the old form follows function or function follows form. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, rounds and whether it's round or, or blocks of squares or whatever. And you go, it, it's, a, sure. it's a really fascinating sort of part where if the, if the function doesn't work, then it's it, it 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 really never deserves the form, I suppose. Like if you could design a beautiful teapot and it pours perfectly as well, 
then you and balances perfectly in your hand, then you've really made a piece of art or a, a piece of um I suppose something that's got it delivers on its on its aesthetic value as well. It delivers beyond that. Yeah, it's uh but in a race car, yeah, it's how fast can it go? Most and most uh industrial design or design firms, when they design a teapot, they do yeah. encompass both. They they do take care of the function, they take care of uh, the aesthetics, they make sure it's manufacturable and you bring all these considerations in. But in these two particular uh, jobs, or they were both at on, the on extremes edges, of each yeah. one. And, <laughs> yeah. But the other awakening in, uh, with the Memphis group, I, I, work, I didn't work directly for uh, Ettore Sotsas, who, who uh, was a founder of the Memphis group. I worked for one of the other founders, Matteo Toon. And he, uh, one awakening for an American industrial designer being in Italy is at that time, there was really no such thing as industrial design. They didn't recognize and they didn't have that curriculum. They were architects and architects designed architecture and they designed furniture and lighting and, and teapots. And they they didn't have the classic considerations of manufacturability and ergonomics and, and things like that. They were much more sort of cerebral and intellectual. They looked at iconography and symbol, symbolism, and they brought things to the product that I had yeah. never heard of. Aldo Rossi, when he designed a, a espresso maker, he, he did it as a small-scale piece of architecture and it was beautiful and it worked, but it was a much different sensibility that that as an American at that time and in the eighties, I had to That's pretty get fascinating, used to it. really, isn't it? So with it, be because of the fact that they were designing it like you say, like architecture, but they were just scaling it um to something that was a human experience but by the hands as opposed to um, you know, like a human experience where we walk in through the door. Um, and, but the, but the, the mental journey of it was the same discipline. They used that discipline to it for industrial design. I actually think industrial design is probably one of the most exciting opportunities for people who might go and study any design field, uh, because pretty much everything we touch is designed. It's just how well it's designed. Um, and one lot's designed by nature and we don't get a say in it. Well, we can ma manipulate a little, um, but the other lot's designed by humans. And uh, it's just, um, we're on that scale, it is good or it's bad, or you know, it delivers or doesn't deliver. Um, and industrial design, you know, everything pretty much that we touch or interact with during a day comes off that. Um, It, it did look, though, in certainly uh, in their earlier years when when the names of Walter Doan Teague and Raymond Lowy and Norman Bev Geddes, you know, the, the first heroes and, and practitioners of industrial design, there were many things that were left untouched as as many homes today, uh, certainly in American suburbia, get many, many colonial homes that are built by builders and, and they they 
they're sort of untouched by architects and they, they work fine, but you can look at these cookie cutter homes and, and there were opportunities for architects, but they, they made or did without. And in the, in the day, many products did without. And it, it is true today that it's much more uh, considered and practiced. And I think it's because you just need that for a competitive edge. If you're not thinking about all the things that an industrial designer thinks about, you're, you're not going to be competitive with your product. And so we're seeing uh, in everything we do at, uh, in Mr. Steam today, we see our competitors. We know that they're you know, employing industrial designers and they're bringing that sensibility and they're making better products and it's better for well, the consumer. Well, the consumer's the winner without a doubt because it raises the bar everywhere. Um, yeah, in, innovation is a beautiful thing like there, that. It, it just keeps pushing forward. And when it's pushing forward like that, we get this um, benefit to the you know, to the end user. Um, I used to train innovation, and uh, in training innovation, you know, we used to say, "Well, what is the definition of innovation?" We'd say, "Well, first of all, it's near enough to what existed before, but far enough away from it to be interesting, but not so far that people can't understand it. That yeah. you have to re-educate everybody. It's cheaper to make. It." Um, it's easier to produce and it is better for the end user. It's an increase. It's a, there's a benefit, a greater benefit for the end user. Now it doesn't mean you just cause it's cheaper to make you sell it cheaper. In fact, you'll probably because of the development money, you'll sell it more expensively, but that's innovation, you know, like it and, and it evolves even once it's, it's a constantly evolving model. Um, but if it doesn't meet those things, then is it really innovative? Did it help the end user? What did it help the company that made it or the person who made it? Um, did it give them a better experience? And then did it make them more financial gain, uh, which again gives them the opportunity to re-support more innovation um, because R&D is something that a lot of businesses never even had in their bag. Nowadays, they're kind of forced to, but previously they didn't have it in their bag. It's very true. And I think there are many unsung heroes in this area as well. Uh, one, of the, one of the people that uh, I admire very much was uh, Dean Kamen. He, he oh. invented the Segway and, and wheelchairs that could go up chair, uh, stairs and, and, and would allow people to sort of stand at the same height as other people. And these, these were real engineering-driven innovators, not, not industrial designers. Uh, guys, I think, like uh, Bert Rutan, who revolutionized the aircraft industry. Uh, again, this, is, this was uh, just old-fashioned ingenuity, and they, they brought a lot to it as well. And, and not only did they innovate and make better products, I think they're a lot safer, yeah. too. Uh, this consumer safety as, as I know it's something we look at constantly to make sure we uh, we're putting out a safe product. And and if you don't, you're you're, well, you're going to the hurt thing with it. yours is is um, ultimately somewhere there's boiling water, and uh, <laughs> boiling water like uh, it has the potential to harm pretty quickly. Um, so tell us a bit sure. about. Um, Mr. Steam, really, and then we'll, I want to talk about lots of other things as well. But tell us a bit about Mr. Steam and 
um, how it got started, what 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 was the yeah you know, where where the roots of it came from, and where that first innovative thing of going well we're going to do this take a, you know basically a, a steam bath uh, kind of concept and then put this into people's homes. So Mr. Steam is a brand and the corporate entity is Sussman Automatic Corporation. And it has two brands, both Mr. Steam and Sussman Electric Boilers. And Mr. Sussman started when New York City was primarily a sure. garment city and a sugar city. And uh, his his big innovation was that in in treating garments with steam irons, he realized that at some point you run out of steam. You just cannot put that much water into a steam iron and have it flash into steam. And he came up with the idea of having a separate boiler that would supply steam to um, a, a steam iron. And that's really what put the company on the map. And uh, talking about boiling water, they would say that we're experts in boiling water. And this is now wow. 103 years ago. And, the, and they, uh, they were primarily a garment equipment company. And they made things like pressing tables and steam irons and uh, curing ovens, all for the garment industry. And then, uh, and then they branched out uh, into industrial boilers as uh, industry needed uh, to boil water and make steam for process control, for humidification, hospital sterilizers. And the Sussman Electric Boiler Division has a core competency and, and they really do well with industrial technolo technology uh, right. for steam for industry. The other side, Mr. Steam, uh, started uh, in the late 50s when uh, people started needing steam for gyms. And we applied that same sensibility of having boilers and we developed controls and steam systems. And about, I'm gonna say 10 years ago, it stop being just about steam. It, we started introducing uh -huh. aromatherapy and then yeah. streaming music and then lighting. And it became a product that touches upon four out of the five senses to this spa experience in the privacy of your own home. And it became where you can buy this equipment and you can close your shower and have this incredible experience uh, at home. And one of the things recently that also made it much more compelling is uh, we went through a wellness study and we now know that there are all, all secondary wellness benefits like cardiovascular and, and hypertension and all these other benefits to having high heat. And I'm hearing a lot of talk today about whether it benefits COVID or not. And they're really exploring whether it's a benefit in that area as well. Uh, absolutely. Uh, from my understanding, which is limited the, um, with COVID, that it doesn't um, relate well to high heat, high temperature. So, yeah, like a, a, in a sauna or in a um, steam room or something like that, it's possibly, yeah, it's one of those great benefits that uh, it won't travel or it can't live in you. I remember right at the very start of the COVID pandemic, there's some figures came out on that um, just about how, uh, you know, colder climates were suffering harder than warm climates and just that 
it doesn't live as well in a high temperature, the virus doesn't live as well in a high temperature. In saying that, it, the virus will mutate. It's an innovator, and um, it will find its stream or its whichever way it works ultimately. Um, it's a fascinating story about where the steam industry came from, from being uh, my background in the um, garment trade. Of course, I really appreciate all those different parts of it because, you know, just in the stentering of fabrics and things like that where there's all the steam used and um, there's so many applications when you're talking about it, I'm going, yep, yeah, oh, right, yeah, that's right, I remember that, yeah, I remember that. Um, and then also in New York City, like, you know, back in the day, sort of even back in the, I'd say, 80s, you would just see constantly racks of clothing being pulled down streets or being loaded in trucks and um, where the garment district was just so huge. Yeah, they called them garmettos. Yeah. And they, it, it, the early garmento guys, they their biggest job was taking racks of clothing from sweatshop to the distributors and the trucks and uh, half the city was employed uh, with the Garmentos. And then I remember even early days, you could go down the street and see uh, shops where you see just rows and rows of people with steam irons and pressing tables. And, and that was the industry. And that, I, you know, that went offshore, that went away about, I'm going to say yep. uh, 15 years ago. And, uh, we were almost exclusively a company that, that sells steam baths. And I saw an interesting TED Talk recently that uh, looked at the hierarchy of what products deliver, what benefits they deliver based on how many oh, senses nice. they touch upon. And if, if, it, if it was you know taste and olfactory, it got a certain rating. And there are very few that, that can touch on four out of the five senses and in fact, we're, we're looking at the fifth sense because hydration uh, in, in a steam bath where you sweat a lot and you need to replace electrolytes is very important. And uh, we, we looked at a product, Gatorade is coming out with a very interesting product where they, uh, they put a sweat patch on you and, and you take your phone app. It tells you what, you what has come out in your sweat so you know what to replace and they'll send you a custom pod of nutrients that you put in your water and you replenish it. And it's targeted to high-performing athletes. And so this whole idea of wellness and, and what you're sweating and how to put that back in for your health is, is a very exciting That's new frontier. Fantastic. In, in, in That's fantastic because it's customizing to you as well. You know, like that what what you may need or what I may need in the same circumstance would be different and maybe broadly the same but like um, then the the nuances of it that would change that's where I love innovation I just go wow okay so and you look at a high performing athlete you know where athletes are pushing pushing the edge of their person of their physical abilities nowadays all the time they're superhuman yeah. and so that that's the edge those are those little edges that make the difference to them and to be able to do that on a you know mum and dad level as well so that it's um or a family level so it's you don't have to be the high performing athlete but you can just be the better performing human um it's valuable we get calls from from customers and and they'll say 
you know, we, we had a problem. We had a problem with electricity or plumbing. I can't take my steam bath. Can you send someone out? And there's this level of urgency. It, it's like, really, you, you, can, you, can you wait, you know, two hours? And my favorite story was actually a few years ago, uh, we, I got a call from a lady who lived in California, and she said, I had an incident with a bear attack. And it, it raked my faith, my face, and I, I had to have surgery on my nose and my nasal system. And now every morning I must have a Mr. Steam steam bath to get up in the morning and get through the day. And uh, after 23 years, it hasn't been working. Can you send a technician out to get it working? And I said, uh -oh. man, with that story, I'll fly there I, myself. I, this is on me. <laughs> I'm sending someone out. And I, and I looked it up, actually. I looked up this story, and I found it on the Internet. And it was even a crazier story where she, she couldn't see after this attack, and her dog led her to her car where wow. she could then get help. And I, and we kept in, I kept in touch with her after that for a while. And I hope she's, I hope she's, oh, well, it's, it's, it was wow. a great inspiring story, but people, people get very attached. I, I can see how, um, you know, like, uh, we've got a customer at the moment and, uh, he's renovating and he's about to put in a Mr. Steam and, um, he pretty much daily goes to the gym where he has, where has a wet sauna and uh, a, a steam room and, yeah, pretty much daily, probably five days a week, if not seven, and spend 40 minutes in there. Um, it's just part of his lifestyle. It's worth driving down the road for. And to have that at home, you go, well, why wouldn't you? Um, and we're seeing, uh, partly driven by COVID, but also just driven by um, the, I suppose, wellness aspect of that's trending globally and i say partly driven by covid because i think it had shifted before covid covid's probably just been like an accelerator pedal we're seeing people asking for you know gyms in their home again um, or spaces that can easily be gyms but more often dedicated now um, and with that an, a natural kind of um, flow on to that is how you're taking care of yourself in your you know, your bathroom space as such, what's, what's nurturing you in there? You know, I always look at a bathroom and I say to people, well, it's an interesting space. If it's a kid's bathroom, it's a workspace. If it's a adult's bathroom and an ensuite or something, it's a workspace, but it's then it's got to be able to be the nurturing space as well. And it's got to be the thing that it, 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 it has to be able to transition. It has to have both. You've got to have the practicality to be able to get done and get out. And then on the other side of it, you've got to have the sensibility for it to be able to bring your calmness down, to nurture you, to make you feel, um, uh, to shift your mindset to this is, this is okay, I'm worthy of all this extra attention that just the ease of things gives me, just the shapes of things give me. And then you take something like adding a steam shower to it and you go that extra time that you will take to do that. And I know, you know, with the apps and stuff, you can have that thing heated up pretty much and jump right in as you walk through the door. Um, 
that's that's the genius of it. I think it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful um, thing to be able to add at not a huge cost to uh, any any bathroom, any shower box. Really, it might take a little bit of alteration, but most things. You do have to. Uh, most steam systems are installed during new construction yeah. or remodeling, and uh, one of the one of the great things about it is that you know or there's already plumbing and water and electric in that environment so it's an it's a relatively easy add-on when you do that and you had mentioned something before that you know you uh you go in and you relax and today uh, technology you can mm. you can do these presets where you could have let's say you like eucalyptus and you like it at 116 degrees and, and you, you like Mozart, you go in and you hit your button and it will set up your steam session according to your preferences. And then your wife comes in and she likes lavender and, you know, the Grateful Dead. And, you know, it'll be, it'll be a completely different I like that experience. little segue there. You put lavender and the Grateful Dead in the same sentence. <laughs> where, they, where they belong. <laughs> and what what is another a really interesting innovation that's coming up is electronic cool. shower valves yeah. and uh many you and i probably go in the in the shower every day and you have these mechanical valves that you turn to for the sure. for the temperature and the flow and you 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 reach in you turn them on and you wait till it's the right temperature and there's uh a new and and fast up and coming trend with electronic shower valves where that's all done electronically and you have an electronic control or an app and you turn on your shower from your you know from your night table and you set it at the preferred temperature or you have a preset so and it'll it'll tell you when it's ready and you just you just go in and it the other great thing is if you have a large family, for example, and you have a teenage daughter that water. uses, you know, the shower and run out, you can use your app to set a limit on it. And it's like one of the best best features. I love that. that. Um, and that, that also, that's also a great experience. And you can tie in steam with a shower with one control. And architects and designers love that. Just oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's fantastic. I think those kind of um, innovations – just make the simplicity of it um, and, and the simplicity of it means that it keeps the stress of it very low. You know, nobody elevates because they can't operate it easily or whatever. You know, if your name's Adrian, press the Adrian button and it, it knows you well enough now to do enough for you. And then you can tinker once you're there. But in that moment, that's fascinating. I think that I think that there's a massive um a massive consciousness that uh, is growing around, you know, this this self-nurturing and taking care of yourself and all the rest. And as I say, COVID, I think, has put the foot on the accelerator a lot. And with that, people are going to live better lives. They're going to have better lives if they can embrace these technologies. And they're going to live healthier lives for longer as well, which is, you know, the other pandemic that we have is this... Um, poor aging where we can I think of somebody like my father who is 92 years old coming up 93 
and he has arthritis. If every day he sat in his steam shower, um, the arthritis in his shoulders would be not gone, but it would be um, it would be comforted a lot. Um, and if he'd been doing that for the last twenty years, imagine how he'd be. Uh, you know, like it, it, those kind of things. I think are really interesting as to you know what we do now. You know, maybe somebody in their thirties, what they do in their thirties is going to affect them in their fifties, and what they do in their fifties is going to affect them in their seventies and eighties, and it's an accumulative effect on the human body. You're right. In fact, medical spas are are using that treatment for arthritis and and, and joint pain and so forth. And there's uh, there's also an environmental benefit because. Uh, a typical shower might use 50, 60 gallons of water and a steam bath may use one or two. And what you're, what most, we, there, there have been studies that have shown that most people take a shower in the morning, not because they really need to get clean, but it's part of a ritual or a ceremony to start the day. And you get this sort of heat therapy and, and this, this tactile sensation from a shower. When you combine that with steam, you get that heat therapy for much less water and and much less heat energy to heat that water up so it's an environmental benefit as well and and you can actually take a longer therapeutic experience in the morning yeah, wow. doing that or or at night uh, and that uh and it ties in with not only is is the uh stay at home and and uh, enhancing your home part of the covid trend but there's also a, a trend that even preceded COVID where people are seeing the value in experiences more than material goods. They're looking at uh, travel and, and community and friendship more than owning things. And by, by having you know, this shower where you go in and, and you take a shower and, 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 and the light flickers like thunder and you, you hear this, the thunder on speakers and the aromatherapy puts out a kind of ionic smell and it goes through a narrative like you're in a tropical storm and your morning just has just transformed itself into an experience. It's as opposed to turn on, lather, yeah, rinse off, this get is, out. Yeah, that's, There's a story. and that story actually sets up your, your moods and sets up your, um, I suppose, rhythms in your brain that, um, transport you as you said like that transition it's a ritual of transition from one thing to another you know um and i think that's really super important transitioning from you know like this morning i jumped out of bed i hopped in the shower i you know um i knew i was recording so i was like okay it's game on i i gave myself um 32 minutes from start to finish to be able to be, you know, ready to go. And with that, it's, um, I think that it's, a, 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 there, I have a ritual. I, I do. I follow a morning ritual and I will follow one after I get off the call as well. So it's, and it sets me up. And if that ritual gets interrupted, it does elevate my, my stress levels slightly. Um, and, not necessarily disrails, but I have yeah. to bring myself back. I have tricks to bring myself back. But if you're setting yourself up the best for the best day, you're right at the very start. 
Um, and even, you know, like you say, that for the people who, you know, shower at the end of the day um, or both ends of the day, it's a beautiful thing, that, you know, once you've been in steam that just pulls all those sort of like the muscles, lets them relax that bit further and mentally if you can take that journey as well like you said like i love that thing of doing like a tropical rainstorm you know if you can do that as well then you're, you're really going on a journey you're really making something where you can drift away and take yourself transport yourself to another space i uh i want to give a shout out to um a, a gentleman uh, who's who's really getting that message out well, very in in Australia, and that's uh, Adrian Barr of, of Geyser Steam and Sauna. He he has been a champion of that message, and he I think he's on a mission he, he, uh, to convert people away from spas uh, and converting I, them to. Steam I know and he's sauna. on that mission. So he's. <laughs> But he, he's, he, Adrian so is a, like fascinating yeah. guy. He sees the bigger picture of it. He sees what it does, not just in the, you know, in the short term. He sees that longer term outcome that it's going to deliver. And I mean, he's be, the reason that we're talking is because Adrian and Adrian, being the two of us, we know each other. And I just love the fact that he believes and does the research and backs it up just a hundred percent with what is what is what it's doing for people and how it can make their lives better and in turn make their family lives better and in turn make you know their community lives better and so on that processional value of those things one of the one of the reasons you know being a product designer and before i i joined mr steam i worked for as a freelancer and i worked for various consulting firms and you would do a a range and variety of products and i was concerned about uh, coming in-house and working for one company that there would be a lack of variety and that notion went away because it's it's sort of a blank canvas. It's it's a new area, and you can innovate. and And we and we looked at aromatherapy and streaming music and 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 coordinating all these sensory inputs. And the biggest surprise was that the people we work with, like Adrian, they have ideas because it's a new field, and and they they call up and they say, "Hey, did you think about this? Or what about that?" And you get this almost like a their early crowdsourcing of ideas from innovators out in the field. It seems to attract people who are very resourceful, who are technical, and like to think outside the box. And that that's been one of the most gratifying experiences. And and uh, and Adrian is certainly someone who uh, keeps me <laughs> challenged. I'll say that. Much. That's perfect, isn't it? Well, you know, that's what drives us forward. It's um. It, it, that's what makes it all a better place. And it makes, as you say, in business, it makes it exciting as well. You know, like I love the fact of yeah. designing um, houses and, you know, that's, a, a, I suppose, a discipline that it's just generally houses. Um, but with that, they all have different people who are going to live in them. We only design houses for the person who's going to live in it. We don't design them for people that don't live in the house. And, um, with that, it's uh, 
I always say the design isn't the hard part. The, and none of it's necessarily particularly hard. What it is, though, is learning the nuances of the people who are going to live in it and learning them as people, and that's the joy of the journey. Then the design forms itself based on the land, the regulations, the budget, and their sensibilities, what they, how they want to live compared to how they do live and what the future will hold for them. And there's the joy of the journey. You know, uh, I interviewed an architect, Jeff um, Dungan from uh, Alabama, and Jeff um, made this comment to me. I said something about great projects, and he said something like, we're not looking for projects. And I was like, kind of, I remember in the moment going, hmm. And, uh, and then he said, we're looking for great people because with great people come great projects. <laughs> and it's not about the size of the project. It's about the, the size of the person that you find. You know, it's the type of person that you find and whether you fit with them and whether there's a, a, a comfortable banter and a, you know, enough tension to, to question each other, to push back and all those kind of things. That's what makes it the joy, the process of joy. And generally we design for couples and when there's couples, then you've got two of those to learn plus the third dynamic that they create between them as well. And that's, that's, you know, kind of once you can learn that and dig into that, there's the joy in the job and, and, looking for ways to innovate um, for their experiences. So how can I increase their experiences? And I can't imagine, you know, it buying a car or buying clothes is one thing, but you are working with someone for the, their ultimate uh, purchase, their ultimate experience, something that, is is so central to their lives in the home they live and i feel that in a very small way just by creating this a small part of the environment but for you to create that mm. entire environment uh, i can only it's incredibly humbling um and in saying it's incredibly humbling it's also incredibly gratifying to be a trusted um you know really when you think that you draw a bunch of lines on a piece of paper and maybe make a model or something like that. Um, and somebody, you know, commits a, a, a serious amount of money to it. Um, that's a lot of trust and a lot of belief they have in you. And to me, I go, you know, everyone starts at, at, at ground zero. The thinking's got to be clean when you start. It's, there's no cookie cutter. There's let's dig. And yes, we will repeat features and stuff like that. Uh, well, let's dig for what this really needs to mean um, needs to mean to them, and then also to its environment, and then also to the planet around us. Um, but them as the first port of call because they're going to be the occupants. I often say to people, "I'm never going to live in your home unless you are going to gift it to me, or I'm going to put it put in your will and I'll kill you off early." But um, other than that, it's not my home. I live in a house down there, not this home so it's it's all about you it's i've got to find out more and more about you and weave the stories um into what makes it work for you and in this period of your life and then on the future period of your life and that's where i look at things like what you guys do and i go it's life enhancing um it's wellness enhancing 
why wouldn't we be planning to do that? It's a very reciprocal experience just for what you're, you're mentioning now, because we, we work with uh, builders and plumbers, electricians and designers and architects by far uh, the experience with the architect is, is the one where they are, there's a, there's a significant dialogue that I see between them and the clients and, and they include us in that dialogue and they, they explore what the options are and, and what the materials could be and how big and, and, and can I put a bench here and what happens when I include this? And, and that, that's part of why this is a gratifying uh, business to be in is to work with uh, these various groups. And each, each one of these groups brings something differently and they, uh, again, br- uh, drive the innovation and being part of uh, the architect experience where they will look at the finishes and the controls and, and how this impacts the aesthetics inside their home. And uh, I know our, our purchasing agent, he, he, uh, what he dreads most is the emergence of, let's say, a new finish because all of a sudden he has to buy, you know, 23 more things in whether it's matte black yeah. or polished nickel. But, you know, to, we feel very much part of the process that, that you're <laughs> working with with your client. So I, I, I feel like I feel a little bit of a fly in the wall, and but oh, very it's, happy it's to be part of that and process. With, with, with Mr. Steam, is there sort of some um, training, accreditation, um, whatever that uh, happens for architects, designers, interior designers um, that are looking to uh, understand how to better use your product? Is there a way that, that you guys have set up that they can follow? Yeah, the, the in in the United States, there they do get credited with classes that they take, and and our we have uh, a national sales manager and and regional salespeople, and they they consider themselves not salespeople mm-hmm. but really educators. They're going out and and they're uh, they're teaching and and going into homes and going into showrooms and setting up working showrooms. And, and they, they do credited classes that architects uh, need to have. Yeah, for their to, professional uh, development. For, so, so do they correct. find that via your um, website? Do they find those kind of things via there? I, I don't know if it's on the website. I know that uh, we, we have a, a very robust digital marketing campaign and we reach out uh, to our various, uh-huh. we call them influencers, and not necessarily our customers, but our influencers are the ones that are, are passing the message along and, and speaking with the homeowners. And again, you know, those are, uh, yep. those are showroom people and architects and designers and, and the builders that cool. are, are passing this message and, and telling customers, hey, did you think about putting steam in when, yeah. when you're designing yeah. your bathroom? Okay. It's good because, yeah, like um, for anybody who wants to, we've got a large audience of um, designers and architects who listen to the show. And with them, if they go hunting Mr. Steam and then look for their, basically their, their rep, 
um, and then from their rep, ask for the information and how they can, what what the what the facilities and the um, availability of learning more about this, uh, because it's an opportunity not to be missed um, in the wellness thing. So tell me, oh go, sorry. We put on. I was just going to say that you know the which we have a lot of things on the website like a virtual spa which which it's like when you use yeah. a car configurator and and you you want a car and you can see what it looks like with red or these wheels or you know a, a luggage rack and and so you can go on our website and there's a virtual spa where you can create your your Believe sort of your me Adrian's had me there and you can with 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 my thing to go okay how many projects can we um you know have have people enjoy this like um those kind of things are great fun sitting with a client and building it as well like just playing with the ideas of it and just engaging them right at that level as well it's fun it's great tool Great tool. I want to jump out of Steam because we're going to post all the details on how to get hold of you and Steam and, well, not you necessarily, but the company and Steam and all those pieces. Um, I want to jump to uh, the room you're sitting in, in your home, because you are fortunate enough to live in a Frank Lloyd Wright <laughs> home and it's a Eustonian home in Eustonia. Um, and just tell us a little bit about what it's like to live in i know it's a like 1950s home is that correct yeah um that's correct tell us a bit about that and living in a community of people who are again living in either his or his apprentices or people that he chose to design that community um to live like that and you as you said before you've been pretty much working from home for the year um and it's not a large large house but tell us something Tell us some gems. Start with start with twenty seven cats. <laughs> so, I'm going to lead you in. Twenty seven cats. <laughs> okay, thank you for that. Uh, so my uh, my wife and I were living in, in New York City, and and we uh, it had been a few years, and we were looking for a little bit of a change just to shake things up. And uh, we found this beautiful little modernist home in Rye, New York, and we, we rented it for three months. And our next door neighbors were these fantastically wonderful bohemian couples. And, and, and it was Ezra and Helen Stoller, who are uh, some of the most, uh, he, he made some of the most famous uh, architectural oh, photographs okay. in history. And, uh, and we said, but we like this, uh, we like this, you know, suburban living, but we, we don't, we want to look for something special. We don't want a typical colonial house, maybe a carriage house or a contemporary. And he goes, you should check out Usonia. And, and, and it's a community that's, uh, it's about 35 miles north of New York City. It's uh, the community was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. He cited all the homes, all 47 homes in this hundred acre uh, community. And uh, we, we did a drive through and we looked at these flat roofs and near flat roofs homes. And we just fell in love. We, we just, he said, this is the community for us. We talked to a few people that we met on the street and they described it as a collective 
where when uh, this group of people started in 1950, they bought the land together, they bought materials together, there's a common swimming pool, there was a, a common co-op, they were going to grow vegetables together and I think uh, have a kindergarten for the kids. So it was very, very It was a step up from hippie teepees, but it, it, was, uh, it still had the same it, sort of sentiments. And, and it greatly appealed to us for that and, and to move in to a, yeah. be part of a community like that. And, and, and sure enough, we, uh, we, we looked at some homes and they, uh, we were told that, you know, homes don't come up very often here. The people who started the community, they stay in and, and there's not a lot of turnover. But we were very fortunate. And the next week we learned about uh, one of the homes and out of the 47 homes, three were designed by Frank Lloyd Wright himself. And he, he commissioned all the others to like-minded architects because he was off and he was doing yeah. the Guggenheim Museum at the time. So he, he designed three homes. And we were introduced to, uh, one, to the owner, uh, Doris, of, of one of the three homes. And the three homes were three distinct modules. One, our home is on a square five-foot module. One, another home is on a round module. And the, another is on a triangular module. And this sensibility is carried through to every detail in the home. And it sets the whole character of the house. So ours is the, the least sort of uh, of an architectural statement. The, the, and yeah, maybe the works the easiest. In that sense. Yeah. It, it, at times, we, we certainly feel it does. And it, it was beautifully cited, and we fell in love, and we, we were getting married in, in two weeks. And we told the, the uh, Doris, who was selling the home, that uh, we loved the house. And we went home, and we wrote a letter, and we poured our heart, out, heart outs, and we told her why we loved it. And she, when we had visited, she told us about her cats she was a cat lover and she opens this room and it is the room with the best view it it was the biggest room and there <laughs> were cats and it was a little <laughs> off-putting i have to tell you in the beginning and and uh some were feral and some were very tame some were very old and some were kittens and i I, I heard myself saying, and we'll take care of your cats. And you could just see that she was just moved beyond belief that, that someone would do that because she was very concerned about the cats. And uh, we went home and we wrote a letter and we put a bid in and she called us up and she said, I'm sorry, you, it's, it's, you, your bid just wasn't generous enough. It didn't, it, it's not going to make it. And, um, a week later, we were getting ready to go to, uh, you know, our wedding party and, and uh, we're getting in the car and we got a phone call and it was Doris. And Doris said, Mike and Julie, I just cannot bear the thought of you walking down the aisles with your fingers crossed. You can have the house. And it was a this sudden, complete outpouring of euphoria. And it, it is, uh, Doris is part of the legacy of this house. 
and and you know we we think of her on 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 all the occasions and she just did an act of kindness and generosity wow she that's so cool that's so cool such a beautiful story so where are they all some of them well, passed it, it, some of them passed was, i get that <laughs> so, this room was not right. a heated or habitable room but it had it had these accommodations for the cats we found out from our neighbors that most of them were feral that wow. they were uh coming by the house and taking birds from the bird feeder and we actually didn't have to care for them and except for the older cats and i remember there was one older cat it didn't have teeth and it it couldn't walk right and uh my wife said you have to take that cat to the vet and I, I have to tell you that I, I went to in, with with my heart in my mouth because I I didn't know <laughs> what the vet would say and and uh, he after examining the cat he came back with this he brought up he brought a box of medications and treatments for this cat and I had no idea what I was in for for this cat by itself that I I turned into a a sort of a cat nurse. <laughs> And uh, the, the cat lived on for another few months. Eventually it, died. It, it, yeah. Eventually it, it, it died. Uh, and, and some of the other cats did, and some of the cats went feral. And, and they, they just, one by one, uh, sort of disappeared. And the room I'm in remained, remained empty after that for oh, wow. at least 10 years. And then we, we renovated the room and... and replaced the screen with glass and uh, poured new flooring so we could put radiant heat in. And, and now it's one of our wow, favorite what a rooms cool story. Yeah, I imagine when you replayed in your mind hearing yourself saying, I'll take care of the cats. <laughs> it got yeah, to I mean, And um, I go, just the thought of going away for a weekend is like, oh, what are we doing with the cats, you know? <laughs> the, the funny part is uh, at, at, we, we, uh, we raised two kids in this house and, and they've, they've, they've since, uh, you know, left. And, and, and uh, I remember when my, when my wife uh, retired after working as a textile uh, stylist for many years, we sat the kids down and we said, you know, mom's, mom's retiring. Things are going to change. We're, we're, we're not going to be able to do as much of this and that, and you're going to have to help out and all these things. And they listened to our, our description of how life was going to change. And as soon as we were done, they said, <laughs> Can we have a dog. Cle clearly <laughs> you made all the right <laughs> impressions. <laughs> oh, Michael, it's awesome. I've loved uh, this chat. It's really, really cool. Um, we will post how to get hold of Mr. Steam and all those things, obviously. And um, uh, there's some more conversations I want to have with you. So we'll, we'll do another one of these. Maybe we'll get Adrian in as well. Um, he's quick to handle that responsibility. <laughs> but I think we we get a three-way going here with Adrian quipping in as well would be a lot of fun because he has such a passion. I would love to. He, uh, he, he, he just seems to be able to solve any situation and look in the bright side on, on everything. 
he's he's a force of nature and i'd, I'd love let's to be do that in, in let's make that a plan then um Again, I want to thank you. We didn't even cover motorbikes. We didn't cover Bert Munro. We didn't cover John Britton. So we need to talk again about those things as well. Um, there's so many cool things that uh, we got a little chat beforehand that we managed to cover. So, well, I appreciate uh, the moments we did have here and 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 be able to talk to them and 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 bounce ideas absolutely me too and i'm looking forward to uh when we do get to travel again coming and uh seeing you in new york that will be extra special extra special well we'll be we'll be back in the office at that time and i hope you you join us and see our new office that's a plan that's a definite plan so thank you so much take care have a wonderful rest of your day okay thank you and we will talk soon